0: to episode 5 of Oversharing Wearing. If you're new to the podcast, it's basically where I chat honestly and openly about having lived with anxiety since I was a child. I also throw in some absurd stories along the way to hopefully keep you entertained. So far, I haven't listened to any of the previous episodes of my podcast because A, that would be a bit weird, but I kind of had to because listen to episode four because I was really wary of repeating myself. God, it's so weird hearing your own voice, and it's because it happened such a long time ago. The stuff I've talked about so far, for me, there are now degrees of separation. But I think my takeaway for having listened to that episode is that I'd obviously forced myself. Into staying at university, and it was obviously a difficult situation that I got myself in because my mental health was declining. And I don't know if it was pride that propelled me to stay there or ignorance of how badly it was going to affect my mental health, but I do think there is something to be said about the warning signs and not ignoring them. But I know how difficult it is to acknowledge if you're not coping. Luckily, now, there's a lot more conversation about self-care and being true to yourself and not being afraid to start difficult dialogues that maybe are uncomfortable. But I think, as I've spoken about before, anxiety is still such a taboo subject. But the sad thing is that it's so much more prevalent in today's society. But I've found with my children's generation, they are a lot more open to new conversations about acceptance and embracing people no matter what the situation and I do think that's admirable. It's by breaking down taboos that we can truly start to tackle change I think but we're such a long way off tackling mental health with better results. So many people go under the radar and are living with the challenges of mental health unaided and I, that has to change. It, it It's not right that people are struggling and not getting the help but I, as I said we're fearful, we don't want to be seen to not be in control and when you are kind of like wrapped up in a difficult time you don't trust yourself and that lack of judgement means that you are in danger of things getting worse and embedding themselves. And I do feel like antidepressants are still doled out a bit too quickly as a bit of a quick fix. And I think there needs to be more questions about getting to the root of the issues. And I know for myself, having been sensitive, I've always been sensitive, and maybe not having had the support network or people I could go to, has meant that the, the anxiety, unfortunately, really took hold. It's hard to face your anxiety head on. And for me, that's when new behaviours slipped in. And it's like a sideshow entertainment to avoid and fuel my anxiety in equal measure. So, you know, I'm feeling so terrible, so why not restrict my eating to really punish myself? You know, how resilient am I by not eating much? You know, really, it's just a cry for help. You know, notice me, I'm getting thinner. But actually, you you are wanting to reach out to people. But you then start to really display negative behaviours that you think you're in control of. But actually, they are becoming more in control of you. So, as I stated before, I was moving in with two friends and I was cleaning a lot and restricted my diet. I'd started a new job and met someone, really lovely girl, but it was clear that she had an eating disorder. And it didn't take long for me to work through hanging out with her to start measuring my food and watching my intake and it was it was so what annoys me now is i look back and i'm like I, it was just so easy just to slip into this incredibly destructive way of living you know i i was had didn't have the calories to kind of carry through the day i was constantly tired and worrying about food all the time and you know scared of slipping up and eating something i shouldn't and I'd stay around my friends quite often, and I'd weigh myself. And I remember weighing eight stone and thinking, my God, I'm fat. And she had weighed herself, and she was seven stone. And I was jealous. And it's just its ridiculous. And um, I, I'm really ashamed of that. But that's where my head was at the time. It was like, I'm trying to gain control again. I So if I'm not eating as much surely I'm you know doing a good job on some level of you know displaying strength when all I felt was absolute weakness and it's it's awful and I just went along with it and I I didn't see the situation nobody did notice it I mean people saw I was losing weight and again that's applauded you know if you're not eating much and you've you're you're skinny you you're you know you're a good person almost like and appearances do matter so if you're kind of covering up and leading this kind of secret life in a way and not eating and looking after yourself it's just pure destruction and so i was just cleaning all the time as i said and just, I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And I thought, right, that something's got to change here. So I started volunteering to look after a lovely girl with additional needs once a week. And I, I really wanted to understand um, my mind a bit more and to kind of get back into learning. So I started doing a psychology A-level and don't laugh, but I um also like landed this modelling contract, which my brother was a model, and I'd always wanted to do it. So, I w- I was sort of like trying to turn my life around, and um it it was okay. I I was sort of bobbing along, t- still on Prozac, and God, that didn't agree with me. I just felt so far removed from myself and i don't know about your experiences of antidepressants but i i really didn't like it at all but you know i i was sort of plodded along with it and the flatmates i lived with again lovely people but there was no sort of security there it wasn't like a safe place to go to um one of them was just as mad as a chair i mean she was great but very eccentric and all out like fun the whole time and it was exhausting because I was trying to sort of keep up appearances doing all the various stuff I was doing and then I'd come home and everything was just it had gone to shit really and I I was in the room next to her and she, she had a boyfriend at the time and it, I felt like I was living next to two farmyard animals because <laughs> when they were like you know getting to know each other with their clothes off. It was like squealing pigs. I have to tell you, <laughs> it was not fun at all. And I, I, it was just, you know, I was really all at sea at that point. I, I remember going to see my mum in the shop she was working at and I was just hyperventilating and, and I know I scared her and I, I'd scared myself. And, uh, even then, I was just like, I've just got to keep going and it will get better. And, you know, and it wasn't. But at that point, you know, I, I thought I was doing all the right things. And I I kind of guess what happens when you're anxious a lot of the time is that you start to kind of shut down a bit and you lack That kind of nurture of yourself and that self belief, and the the script is so negative. It's like I'm not good enough. I I've got imposter syndrome, so I'm looking after this person. You know, chatting to them, taking them out in their wheelchair, and you know, I did a good job, and we had a lovely bond. But it's like inside, I wanted to be looked after, if I'm honest, and I've always been a bit like that. You know, I've always wanted to kind of reach out to people and be caring. But really, the reality is I've wanted that for myself as well. And, and I think for me, that's been, been a big part of the problem is that I haven't always had that. And that maybe I'm not pointing fingers and I don't want to make out that other people are responsible for me. But I think a lack of uh, stability around me meant that uh, I just got sunk further and further into these feelings. And we all need to kind of connect with people and have that understanding. But at that point in my life, I didn't see my parents much. I don't think they found it easy to cope with what I was going through. And I was just in these cycles of negative behaviour. But I have to say, like, one night... ...that all kind of changed... ...so I'd been watching a film... ...with uh, my housemate... ...the eccentric one... ...and I noticed... ...she was on the phone... ...but I was so like... ...absorbed in the film... ...I didn't really notice... ...and she left the room... ...and came back in again... ...and I was just busy... ...watching the film... ...and I turned around... ...to look at her... ...because I... ...the TV was quite loud... And she was obviously having phone sex with her boyfriend. I'm not kidding or making this up. Oh my God. And she'd obviously decided that to pleasure herself and was using the fucking kitchen spatula. And I'm not even joking. It was so awful. And like to do it in front of me, like she just didn't care. And I lost it. I went up to her bedroom and i'm ashamed to say that um she had this vintage collection of ashtrays and i started s- smashing them out the window and she came running upstairs she'd obviously put her knickers back on by that point and i i just raged i just raged at her and we were both crying and we agreed that i should move out before i broke something else like her neck for <laughs> and i just i i couldn't cope with behaviour in, in the house and so I, I left but I mean how ridiculous who would do that I look back now and I'm like cringing so badly but um, sorry about the story I hope it doesn't offend you but um, so I basically was lucky enough to find a couple of Friends, male friends that I'd known for a long time who'd recently moved into a flat and had a spare room. So I moved in with them. And I continued to restrict what I was eating. And I did, was doing a lot of exercise as well. But I'd got away from that toxic house, which was really, really positive. Um, and I was still adrift, I have to say, when I had met someone... And basically didn't think things through. And the relationship kind of went full throttle really quickly. And um, within a few days, he was telling me he loved me. Which, in hindsight, obviously, that's a warning sign. Like, woo, woo, woo. obviously, stay away if someone's been like that that quickly. But I, it's what I wanted to hear. And I think, being honest, he knew that. And after we'd had the date where he'd said he'd loved me, I literally went to Tesco's and bought a cake and basically ate two-thirds of it, a chocolate cake, because it was a relief. It was like, okay, now I can start to be me again. And it was just, from the beginning, it was very up and down. And I remember saying to my friends at the time that I wanted a baby... And that I was going to throw caution to the wind, and I just was—I just was so selfish, and I didn't think I—I I just wanted a family, and I wanted stability, and I had this person doting on me, and I—I I thought that was the fix. I thought that could fix me, um, but little was I to know what was to come next. So I'll leave that there. But I'm loving your comments and feedback. If you want to come on the podcast, I'd absolutely love it to chat about your own experiences. So please get in touch. Uh, Until next time, lots of love.